0: Love Talk Radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. 5,
2: 4, 3, 2, one. Welcome to the Adam and Aaron's Are you ready for
1: it? Now, here is Ellen and Aaron.
0: Good evening, everybody. It is Friday, November 18th, 2022. Welcome to the Allen & Air Sports Talk Radio Podcast presented by Chef G's Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. Tonight, we've got a lot of news to get to in the NFL world. Of course, uh, big games happening this past Sunday, last evening. Of course, uh, what we have to look forward to this coming weekend as well as uh, Thanksgiving Day coming up in uh, just uh, six days from now. Uh, we've got um, MLB uh, awards handed out here in the last several days, Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year, uh, Cy Young, and, of course, MVP, and, of course, uh, some uh, other news in the sports world to get to here with evening. And of course, uh, joining our show tonight is uh, my good colleague, uh, Alan. Uh, Alan, good
2: evening. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Really glad to be here. Really glad to have the great listeners with us. It's always awesome on our Aaron and Aaron Sports Talk Radio show to have a great time.
0: Absolutely. And I want to remind our listeners out there uh, that, uh, of course, we are approaching uh, the holidays uh, next Thursday, as I mentioned there a moment ago, is, uh, is Thanksgiving. And so um, just with all the stuff that goes on, the family time and things of that nature, uh, each year we do choose to, uh, to take a break for that particular weekend so there will not be a show next Friday which is the 25th of November uh, we will return the following Friday which uh, based on what my calendar is telling me is December 2nd so if you try to tune in for a live show next Friday you won't get one but we certainly would encourage you if you're looking uh, for something to listen to on Friday night uh, you can always go to our archive shows which are all listed in the iHeartRadio app If you don't have the app already, it's free to download. I believe it's free to sign up as well. And so we certainly encourage you to check out any of our previous uh, interviews or shows, anything like that. So going to get right into it here tonight, Uh, NFL news, uh, a lot of things uh, happening. Going to go back to last Sunday. Uh, Seems like it was forever ago, but it also seems like it was just yesterday. Big game happened on Sunday, one of the most uh, historic matchups that the NFL has had in uh, in. It's history, and that's between the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers. You go back to the uh, 60s and the Ice Bowl, and, of course, uh, these two teams have met in some pretty spectacular games, uh, both regular season and postseason alike, over the years. And they played each other last Sunday. And uh, the first thing I'm going to say right up front is, finally, uh, Mike McCarthy did something good for the Packers, and that was have Dallas go for it on <laughs> in overtime. <laughs> it cost Dallas a game there. Uh, And Green Bay, of course, won. And, you know, that momentum I thought and hoped would carry over to last night. Unfortunately, it did not. But I want to get your take and your analysis on how that game went last week. It was really a surprise. I I was actually surprised Green Bay was even in the game, let alone ended up winning it. Uh, Give me your take on that.
2: I actually wasn't surprised because around, like, the beginning of the end of, I think, mid-third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, you could see the old Cowboys were starting to come into play. They weren't scoring any runs. And not only that, they weren't getting any points. And you could see that the, the Packers were starting to chip away. And I even told my son watching the game, I said, the Cowboys are going to end up losing this game because you could tell the way it was heading, that it was going to be a close game. It was either one team was going to lose the game or win the game in a close contested match. And usually when it comes down to the crunch, History has shown that the Cowboys fold when a game is close. When the Cowboys are up by two touchdowns and they're running the ball really well, yes, they, they'll they close out that game. But if it's a one-score game, whether it be three points or seven wins the game or lose the game, it doesn't work well for the, for the Cowboys. And I thought, and I'll stand by this, I really feel as if Mike McCarthy, because he got there real early to kind of – buddy up with the Packers organization as well as Aaron Rodgers. I felt as if he kind of hooked up the Packers in a way because even though they did, they should have closed the game out in regulation. That's the Cowboys. I felt that that by going for it on fourth and three was a horrible call. Bill uh, Maher is actually a very good kicker. He's a very good kicker. And that was well within his range. You've got to kick that field goal, and then you've got to put the Packers in a position that, hey, you've got to at least get a field goal to at least continue to have this game go on. Mm-hmm. And if you get a yeah. touchdown, hey, you're the better team. You, you, you're the better man that day. I thought it was an atrocious call. I thought Mike McCarthy hooked up the Packers in a way. That was my take on it. What do, what do you think about that?
0: This is kind of indicative of how he coached the last several years in Green Bay, in my opinion. Uh, you go back to, you know, he started in green Bay in 2005 and coached all the way through 2018. So he was there for 13 years. He is the head coach that was responsible for drafting Aaron Rodgers, So there's a lot of credit due to him for, of course, drafting him, having the foresight to know that, uh, that Brett Favre's career was at the end. And of course he played three years, uh, under McCarthy before retiring, getting traded, of course, to the jets and of course, onto the Vikings the following season, um, but this, this is indicative. This, this is what cost him his job. And I, I've been critical, and I was very critical of, of Mike McCarthy during, especially the last several years he was in Green Bay. Um, you go back to 2010, they won the Super Bowl that year. They, they beat uh, Pittsburgh in really a, a great matchup. It was probably one of the better, one of the better matchups of, of a Super Bowl in a long time. Two very, very equally uh, talented teams on both sides of the football a lot of people forget that the following season, Green Bay went 15 and one and they ended up losing in the playoffs and didn't, didn't advance. And I, I've, my, my criticism of Mike McCarthy isn't the fact that he won. He certainly did a great job in that, uh, his sixth season there in Green Bay winning the Super Bowl. My criticism was the way he handled things after they won. And he, he coached games a lot like this in those final seven or eight seasons. I, I really feel like, Aaron Rodgers should have at least played in one more Super Bowl if not two more than the one he already did play in and I blame Mike McCarthy a lot for just making bad boneheaded calls, bad decisions. Um, I don't think that he would have been fired in 2018 with four or five games left in the regular season whether they were winning or losing had he not been making some of these just kind of ridiculous decisions. So um, I think that this is what to be expected. And I think the Cowboys, you know, they, they had to know this. I mean, this guy's coaching in the league for 13 years prior to getting to Dallas. So it doesn't surprise me that he made some of these choices. I think he, he is the ultimate, I'm going to play it safe, like overly conservative uh, in terms of the risk taking. And sometimes in the NFL, you got to take that risk. I would rather go out taking a risk. Personally, I'd rather lose taking a risk than to play things overly conservative. And it's so predictable. The other team basically knows what's coming. So, um, but you know what, buddy Lou here tonight, uh, what he thinks of it. Lou, um, I know you've been listening in to us here this evening. What, what is your take on how uh, Mike McCarthy handled some of those late game calls this past Sunday?
1: Let's just say that if there was ever time to get a barf bag, that was the time to get one. <laughs> Cause I wanted to grow up. Does that sum up for you, gentlemen?
0: There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: Mike, I'm Mike McCarthy. What are you thinking? Or what you thinking at all? You, so had you, the field you had that game in the bag, you by two touchdowns, and you
2: <laughs> choked. You now, 30, no good. When they went to overtime, would you have kicked the field goal or, or went for it on fourth to three on the thirty seven yard line?
1: Huh. Now that's a tough call. All right, look. Um, how far was the if you went with a field, goal, how far was the field
2: goal? Field goal was going to be about like a fifty-two yard field goal, and it was within
1: fifty-two yards. Within, yes, uh, fourth and three. You know, it's really a tough call to make. You know, I like a, I like though a coach that goes with guts. You know, kind of like what uh, Brian has done for the Giants. That's how they to win games. Like I've always said, no guts, no glory. So yeah, fourth and three. You know, I think I would have went for it. Forget yeah, about overtime. Trying to get trying to give the team a chance to win. Forget that.
0: Yeah, I see well, that's, the risk there. The, uh, the Yeah, I see the risk there. You miss the field goal, then Green Bay has pretty yeah. excellent field position. So I think you, you have to weigh, you have to weigh into this. Is, are, are a couple things here. If you can get a punt and get Green Bay in their own, you know, within their own ten yard line, and just trust your defense, then you're in pretty good shape. But you're also having to factor in that overtime is only ten minutes long now, which, I, in my opinion, and I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but. I, I believe overtime used to be a fifteen-minute period or a fifteen-minute, yes. you know, yes. uh, time. I don't know why they don't just say, "Hey, because it's going to be the first team that scores a touchdown, anyways." At this point, why don't they just say there's no time limit on overtime? Let the game keep going. If the first team gets the ball and scores a touchdown, the game's over. But if it, if it continues to go on, let it go on until somebody finally scores a touchdown, and and that be the winning. Same thing, winning Safety. Yeah,
1: I, I don't. I've I, never.
0: Never have liked I, – I don't know why they can't go to a more of a, a college format, you know, where you say, hey, you, you're going to get the ball at the 50-yard line. You get to get one first down in this time. You can't, you can't advance after the first – like, say you get a first down and you're at the 40-yard line, you know, you're not starting over again if you get to the 30. So that means you have to get either in the end zone, it's basically first and goal after you get that first first down, or it's mm-hmm. kick a field goal. And, and give give it some sort of a, a challenge there. I think that's something that needs to be really seriously looked at because I think that it really yeah I, I go back I've said this for years. i never have like the NFL's overtime format, but that's a different uh different take, so
2: I'm I'm okay with the ten minutes. I felt as if Yeah. I, I really felt as if the Cowboys gifted that game to the Packers. You know? And yeah. this, this this is the thing with the, the Cowboys When they go against tough, they get going. And I thought that was a real egotistical call going on a fourth and 3 in overtime. I would have kicked the field goal, taken the points, let my defense stop Aaron from making at least a field goal. If you stop them from making a field goal, you win the game. So if they drive the whole field and score a touchdown, you deserve to lose the game anyway. That's why I look at it. So I would have kicked the field goal and taken my three points and said, okay, defense, you cannot let Aaron get a field goal, period. That's it. And if you do get a field goal, worst-case scenario, the game is still going to continue. The game is not over yet. But Mike McCarthy, man, I really think he hooked up. When I say I think he hooked him up, I think he let his bromance overshadow his better judgment and he gave the game Not to the, the Packers. And that's what I really do believe. He gave the game to the Packers. you have a yeah. hookup? Well, let me ask you this, Aaron and Lou. What do you think about Mike McCarthy getting there 9, 930 in the morning to rekindle his bromance with the team and Aaron? Done.
1: Bromance. I'm trying to play a game here. You got anything about bromance?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, there's, there's no time I, I, for I think that you. now. I think you could look at look at that differently, depending on who you are. I mean, this is a guy who did spend 13 years there. Longest, by the way, longest tenured coach in Packer history. Uh, a lot right. of people don't realize that. He did win a Super Bowl. He had a, had a, a winning uh, yes. record when he got fired. So I can sort of understand. I don't know that I would have done it so publicly. I think any time a, a guy who spends as much time there as he did yeah. goes back for the first time, there's usually going to be things like this, but normally it's, behind closed doors, there's no cameras. And I will say this, having toured Lambeau Field several years ago, they're very strict there on who they let access to, you know, clubhouse or locker room-wise. So a lot of that stuff could have taken place behind the scenes and we never would have seen it. It would have been maybe uh, rumors or or discussions about it, but it never would have actually been, um, you know, made public. So I do sort of see that side of it too. I I see Alan's point, but I I think at the same time it's – if they'd won the game, we wouldn't have even brought that up here. I don't think that would have been a, a topic of discussion. So, it's going to be criticized because they lost, and now they're now they're on the outside looking in. I mean, look at this point: Giants are seven and two, Eagles are eight and one, and the uh, Cowboys are what six and four. So,
2: the Vikings kind of, eight and
0: one. Yeah, Vikings are eight and one. Um, but my my point before, my point to that was that you're uh, you third place in your division right now, so that <laughs> that kind of puts you uh, you know at a disadvantage at this point.
2: I don't think they are I don't think they're actually mathematically eliminated, but I just yeah. think they're cheering on one more loss or two, or two, maybe, in their division, and you're pretty much done. Yeah, I don't yeah. see them
0: winning their division. So when you're. When you're in third place in your division, I mean they might finish the year. I mean, what are they? I so they're six and four now. Let me look at the records here. So Dallas mm-hmm. is now. Let's see, I've got them in my chart here. Yeah, I'm sorry, they're six and three. I misspoke. So they're six and three. So you, I mean,
2: three and six. Them, they're
0: base- yeah, six, six and three yeah. uh, overall. So think about if they play eight more games the rest of the way. Let's say they. Go five and three. Uh, the, the rest of the season, they could be an eleven team and not make the playoffs. So, so do you think they're done? I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that they are. They're not in the driver's seat. They're they're, they're definitely having to, to to be a backseat driver at this point. They're, they're going to yeah. have to play. They're going to have to play pretty well down the stretch, given that they've got the Giants and the uh, and the Eagles both uh, ahead of them. And you know, keep in mind that you're a division leading team you're going to get into the postseason and i think there's only i know the format's changed i think there's only three wildcard teams to get in if i'm not mistaken am i correct on that so right now if you look at the standings uh just going through the list here um you've got the uh, eagles leading that division you've got the uh, vikings leading the nfc north uh you've got the west believe it or not being led by the seahawks that's crazy to think of that and then uh, the NFC South is also kind of crazy to think about the Buccaneers. So you've got those teams, and then the three teams that would be the wild card spots uh, at this point would be – let me look through this list here. The Giants would be one um, at uh, seven and two. Uh, and then you've got – I guess the, the Cowboys technically would be in based on where they're at right now, and the 49ers would be in two. But you still got to play really good football down the stretch to, to, to make it in. Um, Keep in mind the Commanders aren't that far behind, too. They're at 5-5 five and five at this point. So there's
1: fairly competitive
0: division in football, I would say, right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, you got a great point. Ludo's, are they done or are they still good? Right, the Packers, I would
1: say um, realistically the Packers are done. I don't see them, you know, uh, making up my postseason in Burke. And I think with that being done, I think um, – Rogers is going to be
0: done at the end of this season as well.
1: I don't see him coming back. I, yeah, I don't agree back with
0: Green that. Bay. Yeah, I don't see him coming back. I don't back see him coming day. back either. Minimum. What about the Cowboys, uh, Lou? What are your thoughts on them? Where where they're at right now?
1: Well, they got they got their work cut out for them now. I mean, they're going to play against the Vikings on Sunday, which is a very tough task. they you know, they really got to get this you know their act together. But you know it should it does shape up for an interesting game on Thanksgiving Day though.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of that, what do you got cooking for this uh this weekend?
1: Well, let's see. Of course, we have the wrap up of the uh, MLB awards, uh the free agent frenzy going on baseball. World Cup begins on Sunday, so I got to get thoughts on that. What oh, you that? Um, you know, of course, our college NFL um predictions, uh more on the <laughs> Um, college football, um, you know, the rankings for the for the BCS or the other terms by calling it that. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, and, uh, MBA, and uh, NBA and NHL of course as well. And um, thoughts on thanks thoughts for Thanksgiving. You know what people do. What you're looking forward to for Thanksgiving and whatnot. So you know it's uh, my it's, our, it's my annual tradition since I've started uh, the show. So if you got time between four and six PM Eastern time, or that's Eastern time, call five one two five four three four six six two. I'll be that again. Five one two five four three four six six two. There will not be a show on the 26th, for obvious reasons of course, but I'll be back after that. So, uh you know, if you got time, uh, call and uh, of course happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Even the non sports fans. <laughs>
2: You're a nice guy, Lou. And and we won't be ah. in also next Friday, too. So just to uh, give you a heads up, we we won't be well, in.
1: in this is Brooklyn anywho, so,
2: you know. But, yeah, definitely 512-543-4662. 512-543-4662. The Enhanced Sports Show tomorrow between 4 and 6 Eastern Standard Time Zone. So, definitely, Lou, we we wish you a a great Thanksgiving. Thanks a lot. Oh, you're very welcome. You have a a great weekend.
0: Thanks, Lou. Have a great one. We'll see you in two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, our good buddy Lou there, and uh, we definitely appreciate him. Uh, And, of course, we uh, encourage you to support uh, by listening and uh, even calling in to the Enhanced Sports Show. Again, that takes place on Saturdays between 4 and 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's New York time, Boston time, Atlanta time, Tampa time, uh, right down the coast there. And, of course, as he mentioned, just like us, uh, he will be out next weekend. Our show will also be out next weekend due to the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Um, As of course, we're all looking forward to that. So, obviously, we're not going to have our picks for next week. We'll have to put those up on our uh, Facebook page uh, just to kind of give an idea where we're at. But I want to throw this out there real quickly. We are neck and neck at this point. Um, you know, there's two games There's two games uh, I'm, not, I'm not including last evenings uh, uh, in the fittings st- uh, to this point, but there's two games that somehow have been overlooked earlier in the year that we'll have to go back and confirm uh, by listening to the uh, pick segment of the show. I believe it was in like week uh, four or five. Uh, there's two games that you picked that I wasn't able to pick up on, but basically right now we're neck and neck. I am at 87 wins and 62 losses, and I have you at 84 wins and 63 losses. So we're basically within a game, game and a half of each other. It's been a really interesting year uh, to this point uh, for some of our picks. I know we both uh, have had some weeks where we just couldn't pick right, and then we've had some weeks where we both almost nailed it 100%. So um, it's kind of a crapshoot with a lot of these. Uh, Sometimes you pick a team to win, and you get completely embarrassed. And I've had a couple, I think you've had this too, where I go right down the list, and it's five, six, seven games in a row that I picked incorrectly. So, um, our picks, uh, as I always like to mention at the uh, top of our mentioning these, they are not for betting purposes, because we will lose you a lot of money if that was the case. So, (laughs) um, but I want to kind of piggyback off the end of our conversation there with Lou. Uh, You had brought this up. Uh, Are the Packers still alive? No, they're not. Uh, They're done. Um, That doesn't mean they're not going to try to play uh, for the rest of the season, but The question that you posed in our uh, our shows, uh, you know, synopsis for the seating is, is it time to allow Jordan Love to come in and play? And I answer that question this way. uh, I think it was last week, actually. I I give uh, I I give uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers two more games, which last night was the second game. And then I look and see kind of where things are. I take stock of where things are at, and I believe, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think at this point you have to start evaluating what you have in-house now so that you can know what you need to go out and get this off season in the draft and in free agency. So I think – I'm not saying you're going to start every game the rest of the way, but I think you need to start letting Jordan Love take some snaps, start a game or two here or there, see where his talent level is at, see if he fits into the offensive scheme that Matt Lafleur uh, brought to this team three and a half years ago and that way you can figure out if he's the guy going forward or if you need to move on to somebody else. What is your take on that?
2: No, I agree. I, I think I wouldn't bring Jordan Love in for the Eagles game. I think it's just too tough a defense, too big of a spot for him to start. But I was looking at the schedule. I think the next game after that would be actually a good opportunity. He'll be going against, you know, another young quarterback. I think I think you gotta you know, especially I, I'm going to pick the Eagles when they play the Packers, so I'll just give you a heads up for next week. I think you don't start Jordan Love that game, but I think if that game is gets out of hand, three scores or so, you may let him play a series, and then you let him start the next game against the Bears. So if Aaron is not going to be a guy, you're out of it based on what you're telling me. I think you have to put Jordan Love in because there's no way Aaron Rodgers coming back next year. Absolutely, positively not. Not back to the Packers. I think he might play, but I don't see him coming back to the Packers. I think it's time and uh, Green Bay is done. So if if you know that they're done, the Packers, I, I say go ahead and let Jordan Love play. And I really think if they lose the game against the Eagles, their season is officially over. The only hope they have at this point, is if Aaron Rodgers did what he did a few years ago and they run the table from here on in. started with the Eagles. You lose against the Eagles, I feel as if you are officially done. And at that point, you put Jordan Love in against the Bears.
0: Yeah, I just feel like you have to know what your, what your future is, and I think it would be a good indicator right there. If he plays really well, he's your guy. If he plays you know, really poorly, then you have to kinda of go into the off season with some reservations about, hey, do I bring in a veteran to maybe keep us afloat? Uh or if he plays kind of in the middle, then maybe you say, hey, we're gonna draft a quarterback, uh, maybe in the second or third round next year to bring in some competition. I think those are all things that have to be looked at. And, you know, here's the thing is this team is still fairly talented, I would I would say. I mean, you you traded away Devontae Adams in the off season. That was certainly a a, a huge crushing loss, I would say. I think it's, it's had a huge impact on this team. There's no question about it. Um, but Christian Watson has started to stand out here. Um, he is, I think he scored five touchdowns in the last two games. Um, and that's been a huge part of any success that Green Bay has had if you're looking for a silver lining. so. Um, but, you know, the thing you have to really try to avoid, because just as quickly as a coach can be, you know, considered a, a great success and look like a genius, one bad year, which can sometimes snowball into two bad years, and now you're on the hot seat. And Matt Lafleur, you know, first uh, three seasons won 39 games, that's more than any coach in Green Bay history, and I believe at the time it was the most that any uh, coaches had ever had in their first three years in the league uh, in NFL history. So you don't want to go from greatness to possibly losing your job in just a two-year, you know, two-year spell. You got to be very careful there. So good thing about the NFL is sometimes you can rebuild and rebound really, really quickly. We've seen other teams that have done that. You make a couple of small moves here or there, big moves in the draft. Maybe you go out and pick up a a big free agent. Things can turn around very, very quickly. Um, But, no, I would say uh, the answer to your question overall, the Packers are not still alive. They are looking now to just kind of evaluate for the following year. Now, this past Sunday we saw something happen uh, for the first time this year. The Eagles finally lost. Some mismanagement in that game, too, I think, by Philadelphia. I think their defense uh, certainly let them down. I know there's a lot of uh, Dolphins fans out there who are happy because, of course, the only team that ever went undefeated and won the Super Bowl was the 1972 Dolphins. And every year, once the final undefeated team uh, is defeated, they have a celebration. So give me your take on where the Eagles are. Are they still the the top team? Are they still the, the, the team to beat in the NFL?
2: They definitely lost some stock. I will say that much because watching that game, they got outplayed by the Commanders on both sides of the football. They got outplayed on the defensive side, and they got outplayed definitely on the offensive side. Heineke was actually he was he was he was great. You know, he he made throws. He he made it. He was a tough tough out. You know, third and short, he would get it. I think that was a wake up call for the Eagles that they need to. They're not not—they're a very good team, but I still feel as if they need to stay humble and also need to find a way to get the running game going. You know, if, if they don't have much of a running game and you just let your quarterback just go back there and throw all day long, it's a recipe for disaster. So if it is a wake-up call, I do think that they did lose this game, but I do think also – I wouldn't be surprised if they lost another game or two because now there's kind of a recipe how to beat them. So it's not panic mode yet for the Eagles. They're still a very, very good team. But they did show that they are beatable, especially if you can run the ball really well against them. So it is a wake-up call to the Eagle fans and to the Phillies, uh, to you know the Philadelphia, that, hey, this season is not over yet. And, uh, see, I felt like they were feeling themselves a little too much. This was a wake-up call to bring himself back down to earth.
0: Yeah, and sometimes it's actually a good thing, uh, to be honest. You kind of realize, hey, you can can analyze it this way. Hey, we have a weakness here. We made these mistakes. Now we know how to fix them. Let's go back and look at the tape. Uh, I would still say if I'm ranking teams in the NFL, I would still put them right at the top with the Vikings being a close, very, very close second. And then I'd go to the Chiefs and then go the rest of the way down the line as far as the power rankings are concerned. Um, but obviously there's still a lot of football to be played. We're, we're basically at the halfway point. Uh, there's still, what, eight games left for a lot of teams in the NFL. Yeah. So um, a lot of things can happen in, uh, you know, the month of December. Weather changes, uh, games for teams who play in a warmer climate going on the road having to deal with those elements. In fact, that's going to actually play a huge impact this weekend uh, between the Browns and the uh, Bills. That game was supposed to take place in Buffalo uh, due to a uh, snowstorm that is beyond uh, biblical proportions, it seems like. Uh, that Bye. game's actually being moved over to Detroit. So Detroit will actually finally get to see a winning football team come in and play um, as the Bills will be, yeah. I believe, the host uh, host team in that uh, in that game. So that'll be interesting to see there. That'll have an impact on both those teams as well. Both of those are outdoor teams. They play in cold climates. Um, now you're going to go inside a stadium that's in a cold climate, but of course it's uh, temperature controlled and, you know, on artificial turf. And so that'll, that'll, I think, play some sort of an impact uh, to some degree, but um, clearly I think Buffalo's in a better position there. We'll talk a little bit more about that in our picks uh, coming up here in just a moment. In fact, we'll go ahead and do that now. Uh, I have mine pulled up here. Um, Clearly, I picked wrong last night. I felt like the uh, uh, yeah felt like uh <laughs> I felt like the um the momentum from last uh, Sunday for Green Bay was going to carry over, especially that game being at home and prime time on Thursday night. I lost that game. I had Green Bay uh, winning it. So uh, we'll go ahead and get your uh, your take. I, I'm imagining you probably picked, uh Tennessee in that one.
2: I did. I did take Tennessee Titans in that game. I I did. Think about that, the momentum, being on Green Bay's side. But I started thinking, no, because Derrick Henry was going to be Derrick Henry. It was going to be cold. It was going to be hard to throw the ball a bunch. I felt like they were going to feed Derrick Henry a lot. The Packers kind of are mediocre when it comes to, you know, run defense. So I Mm -hmm. felt like the Titans were at a very good advantage to win this game. And they really needed to win a game, the Titans, that is, to kind of keep up to pace. So I didn't think the momentum was going to swing. I actually still to this day feel as if the Cowboys gifted the Packers. Now, the Packers did their thing, but I felt like the Cowboys made it easy for them to beat them. Having said that, I knew that that momentum was going to stop when Derrick Henry started running up and down the field. And that's exactly what happened. I did pick the Titans to win, and I'm so glad I did.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Sunday, we've got the, the three and seven Bears. Uh, they're going on the road to play the four and six Falcons. That is in Atlanta. I'm going to pick Atlanta to win this game on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I like the way the Bears are playing. Justin Fields is starting to do big things. He's starting to move around a lot, and it's starting to become a, a lot better of a quarterback than he started the year. I actually thought he was going to be this guy – early in the year, but it took him a few games to kind of find his rhythm. I feel like he's starting to find a rhythm, starting to do really well. He did really well against Miami. I like him against the Falcons. The Falcons, I felt as if they did not look like a team that was trying to win anything the last time I watched them. So I got the Bears in an upset win against the Falcons.
0: All right, and then the game I mentioned there a couple of moments ago, you got the three and six Browns. Uh, They are going on the road to play the Buffalo Bills in Detroit. Buffalo is at six and three. They're hungry to get back in the win column I have Buffalo winning this game.
2: Yeah, I think the I agree with you on that. The Bills are hungry. They need to get a win. They don't want to go down six and four. And they lost a really, really tough game against Minnesota. I know they're chomping at the beat at the bit to beat the Browns. So I got the Bills winning this game also.
0: Uh, right, and then the Eagles, who finally lost their first game of the season, uh, they're eight and one. They're going on the road to play uh, the Colts, who are at four, five, and one. This is actually my lock pick for this week. I have the Eagles winning in Indianapolis.
2: Yeah, this I this week Jeff Saturday goes from a perfect one and zero to one and one. Goes from a thousand batting average down to five hundred, and so. I have also the Eagles winning. The Eagles definitely don't wanna start a losing streak and they wanna keep up pace because that you know, eight and one can turn into eight and two and then you can start getting to a losing streak and before you know it teams are passing you. So I do feel as if the Eagles are gonna do their thing, get back on track. I agree with you, I have the Eagles winning.
0: Division rival, uh six and three Jets going up to Foxborough to play the Patriots who are at five and four Patriots are trying to hang on at this point. I feel like the jets have some momentum on their side. So J E T S jets, 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 I have them winning up in new England on Sunday.
2: All right. So we got a different opinion on this one. I just feel as if the Patriots, the fact that Bill Belichick had two weeks because of their bi-week to prepare against the jets, they had a tough contested game before. Knowing that the mind of how Bill Belichick works, he's going to come up with a scheme to beat the Jets and be there. two weeks to do it. So I just think at home, I have the Patriots winning. All right. And then we've got uh
0: battle of two really disappointing teams, the defending Super Bowl champion Rams at three and six. They just have not looked good pretty much the entire season. They're going to play the Saints. I had uh, New Orleans playing a lot better football than this by this point. They're three and seven. Kind of a toss-up game. I have the Rams coming away uh, winning this one.
2: Yeah, this one was a toss-up game. It's it's a real dumpster fire, as our <laughs> <laughs> good friend used to say. So this one is really a pick 'em. They're both two two underachieving teams. I just feel as if the Saints at this point, have a little bit stronger defense. They'll probably force a turnover here or there. Cooper Cup is not playing. So because of that reason, I picked the Saints.
0: All right, and then this is going to be a surprise for some people. I have the Lions, at, uh, they're 3-6 and six going on the road to uh, play the Giants uh, down in uh, or over over in New York, I guess, from where Detroit's at. Uh, the Giants are 7-2 and two on the year, obviously had a great season, the Lions, that three and six record is a little deceiving. They've been in uh, – most of their losses have been by less than five points. So I'm going to make this one of my upset picks this week, and that is the Lions are going to go in to uh, to the Meadowlands
2: and knock off the Giants. I do like what the Lions are doing. I definitely do. They, they don't feel like a three and six team. Jamal Williams doing his thing too. He's got a resurgence but I just feel as if Saquon Barkley is going to do his thing and the Giants and the fact that they're at home, I like the Giants in this game, so I went ahead and picked the Giants to beat the Lions.
0: All right, next battle is two teams heading in opposite directions. You have the 3-7 and seven Panthers at the 6-3 and three Ravens. I have the Ravens, the home team, the better of the two teams winning there on Sunday in Baltimore.
2: Yeah, I do too. I just think the Ravens' defense is very good. Lamar is a stride. The team is actually clicking. I believe they also get Andrews back, that wide receiver. So I have the Ravens also winning against the Panthers.
0: Commanders have been really hot here the last uh, several weeks, and they've made it back to the five hundred market five and five, and they're battling probably the worst team in football right now. That's the one seven and one Houston Texans. I have Washington winning in Houston here on Sunday?
2: I do as well. And again, I said this the other week. If you got billions of dollars, I'd put in a bid right now to buy that team because that's a great deal to buy the commanders. So I have the commanders also beating the Texans. And if you're a billionaire, go ahead and put your bid in because if I had billions of dollars, I'd put my bid in to get the <laughs> commander. <laughs> I really would too. That's a great opportunity, but, yes, I have the Commanders also beating the Texans.
0: And to kind of go a little bit more in-depth on that, uh, you know, kind of the backstory here, there's probably more to it than we can have time to talk about on our show tonight, but Daniel Snyder, who's owned that team since, I believe, 97, um, you know, obviously they've got their stadium, which is just outside of uh, of Washington, D.C., there's rumors that in the next five to eight years they're going to be looking at building a stadium back in what they call the Loop there in D.C. and that means that you'll have uh, closer proximity to, you know, the state, uh, the uh, capital, and of course all the uh, all the things that take place down there. I know that they're leveling old RFK Stadium. That may actually be the site where they build whatever new uh, facility they're going to have. So the, the big thing here is whoever buys that team it ends up going through and being sold is going to have that uh, as kind of an inheritance to go on top of it. So a team that's going to have a high value, I think they're – I think I saw $5 billion. Is that right? Or was it $7 billion? Somewhere in yeah. that range. It was yeah. a, a very high amount uh, for, uh, for a franchise. And let, let's be honest here. This is a franchise. You go all the way back. Their history goes back. Uh, obviously, they were the Redskins before – It was way back, like, 90 years. They have a really, really rich history. They have great fans, and unfortunately for those fans, they haven't seen a winning team that's really gone deep into the playoffs and made a Super Bowl run in basically 30 years at this point. So um, whoever gets that franchise, if, again, it does get sold, is going to have a lot of great things to inherit. I think it's one of the best franchises in football. It just hasn't had that success here the last uh, three decades. So, just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I think it's going to be interesting to see over the next several years how all that develops and how that enhances that franchise there in Washington, D.C. moving forward. So um, this next matchup is one that's, again, probably as big of a uh, dumpster fire as the Rams and the Saints game is. This is the Raiders at 2-7 and seven, taking on the 3-6 and six Broncos. I mean, n- nobody would have told me at the beginning of the year that these teams would be in this position, and I would have believed them. Um, the Broncos, I think, will squeak it out. I think the, the Raiders have a lot of uh, turmoil, I guess is the right word, a lot of a lot of just things that are not going right for them personnel-wise and scheme-wise. So I've got the uh, Broncos winning that game at home on Sunday there in Denver.
2: Yeah, it is a dumpster fire. I agree with you. These two teams are definitely way underperformed from the way we all thought they envisioned to start. But I agree, the Raiders are, are – self-imploding, pointing the fingers at each other. People are just like, they just lost interest in playing, to be real with you. I think the Broncos still are holding on in that regard. So because of that reason, I agree with you. I think the Broncos are going to, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, as much as people get irritated, him saying, Bronco country, let's ride. Or, You know, you say to every, you know, he went and lose it. I feel as if he's a professional. And he's gonna still do his thing, and he's gonna to try to win the game, even though he hasn't been doing great this year. So I would, I would say the Broncos. I agree with you; are gonna win this game.
0: Now, this next matchup is probably one of the better games uh, this entire weekend coming up here. Uh, it has kind of a playoff atmosphere, playoff feel to it. You got the uh, Cowboys we just talked about before, at six and three, and they're playing the Vikings at eight and one. And the reason why this is such a big game, I think, in a lot of ways, is because. You've got the Eagles, who are also 8-1. Philadelphia wins their game, and somehow Minnesota loses. Then you have the number one seed going to Philadelphia, at least for this particular week, Or it could be the opposite, where somehow uh, the Colts win, and the Vikings uh, end up winning their game, and then they're ahead by one game. So um, I have Minnesota winning this game for a couple of reasons. I feel like they have momentum. The game is at home, and, of course, the Cowboys are in, it uh, seems like, choke mode at this point. Uh, what are your thoughts on this game Sunday up there in Minneapolis?
2: Yeah, I love, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, what he did in the plane with the no shirt, dancing. I got, I got the Vikings beating the Cowboys. I just feel as if that game that they gave away, they should have won because then you could have absorbed more of a loss when you face Minnesota. So I got the Vikings winning against the Cowboys, as well, I agree with you. I just think uh, the Vikings are doing their thing. And the Cowboys, I think, we will put up a very good fight. It will be a very interesting and good game. But I think at the end of the day, the Vikings have just a little too many weapons. They play better as a team. So I have the Vikings winning, too.
0: All right. You got the defending AFC champion, uh, Cincinnati Bengals. They are 5-4. and four. Division game here. You're going on the road to the Steel City to play the Steelers at 3-6. and six. I feel like the Steelers are kind of where the Packers are. They're not going to turn it around. Um, of course, a lot of changes, uh, you know, new quarterback and that sort of thing. So I have the Bengals getting here Sunday in.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I do have the Bengals. They really had a situation now where they kind of have to win this game. This is a good opportunity. They're going to be the favorite. And I think this is the game they should win. As much as I would like Coach Tomlin to continue his – his winning streak for at least having a winning season, never a losing season. I do think the Bengals are going to come in there and do their thing and, and win the game too. I agree with you, the Bengals.
0: Sunday night football on NBC here this weekend will feature the high-powered Kansas City Chiefs offense. They're at seven and two, and they're going into the uh, into Los Angeles I'd rather to play the Chargers, who are five and four. Uh, the Chargers are an up and coming team. They got a lot of good young players. I just don't feel like they're quite at the position where they're going to win this game. I have Kansas City just because of their experience and, of course, their offensive momentum. I have Kansas City here winning on Sunday there in L.A.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the league. They really are. I know that they have two losses, but, and there are teams that have better records, the Vikings and the Eagles, but I just feel as if the, the Chiefs have Mahomes, and he's going to do his thing against the Chargers. He does – the Chargers do play the Chiefs well, but I just think it's not gonna be good enough to stop Mahomes. I, I have the Chiefs also winning the game.
0: All right, and then Monday night football, uh you get the uh sneaky, kind of stealthy San Francisco forty nineers. They're five and four. They've uh gotten really good here of late and I think they're a team to really watch kind of an under the radar team right now. Five and four, they're going on the road to play the Cardinals who are at four and six. Uh this is a big game for the Cardinals because if they fall to 4-7, and seven, their playoff hopes are pretty much over at that point, or very close to it anyways. Uh, if they win, they're at 5-6, and six, and that's a very winnable division at this point. So this is a big, big matchup. Uh, the record kind of tosses out the window. I do have the 49ers winning this game just because I feel like their game plan and their experience is a little bit better. I still feel like um, the uncertainty of Cliff uh future, There with Arizona is kind of on rocky ground, and obviously, um, you know, they haven't been able to gel the way they did last year. Think about this uh, Cardinals team; uh, just kind of throwing this out there too. A year ago, they were eight and zero before they lost their first game. They were the last undefeated team last year. This year, they're only four and six to ten games. So, I feel like they're kind of uh, in that same mode as Green Bay is, where they're kind of they're going to show up and play
2: about half the game.
0: In this, the second half of the game, they're going to just kind of not show up at all kind of things. So I do have the 49ers winning this game uh, Monday night.
2: I think this is going to be a very, very good game. But I do think the 49ers have a better team overall. And with that being said, I, I just feel as if D. Hop is going to get his. I feel Colin Murray is going to get his. They're going to have a very good game. But I just feel as if at the end of the day, the 49ers just too good of a team, too well coached. They need to win this game. I think they're on the rise with Christian McCaffrey. I have the 49ers. I agree with you winning against the Cardinals.
0: All right. Well, those are our Week 11 NFL picks here for the Allen & Aaron Sports Talk radio podcast. We would like to remind our listeners that, uh, of course, uh, none of our picks are anything other than just our educated guesses. Neither one of us are considered, I would say, experts in the field of making picks are Overall season records kind of uh, reflect that, and of course, we don't want uh, on our account for you all to have lost money betting, which uh, is certainly something we uh, do not want to have happen there. So if you do win a large sum of money, though, we can certainly um, you know, take donations here on the show, as I always joke around. Each week, but uh, again, those are our those are our picks for the week. I think we're both going to do probably pretty well. We're neck and neck, as I mentioned uh, earlier. It uh, may go down to the wire this year. We may have to go back and look and see our our uh, lock picks and our upfit picks. That could be the could be the determining factor as to where we are at the uh, end of the regular season. So, moving right along uh, as we are in the thick of the NFL stretch run, uh, six or seven weeks left in the season. MLB season just ended a couple weeks back with the Astros winning the World Series. And, of course, now we are getting into free agency. We're getting into – we've just had the awards uh, this past couple days. Um, going right down the line here, Manager of the Year Awards, uh, American League. It was uh, Cleveland Guardians manager, uh, Terry Francona. And then the National League, I believe it was uh, Buck Showalter for the Mets. He certainly was very deserving of it. Um, with what he did there in his first year with New York. Uh, Got to give him a lot of credit for um, balancing the culture in New York. It's a hard thing to do. Um, give me your take on, on the
2: Manager of the Year Award. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with both picks. Buck Walter showing that he's the, he's the man. I mean, this is his fourth time winning the award. Not easy to coach in in New York. And... You know, he just he just uh, did a wonderful job. I had no, no uh, hesitation about him getting it. I, I think the right man won. And, you know, sometimes he does do some things to irritate people and kind of raise your, your eyebrow like, what? what are you doing? But at the end of the day, the guy's a very, very good manager, and he's well-deserving of it. So I, I had no, no issues with those two guys getting manager of the year.
0: Yeah, I feel like those are solid picks. I mean, you know, the end of the day, as you mentioned before, it's completely agreeable. Um, Managing in New York is a different thing, and I think that he was a great pickup for the Mets because they had gone through uh, a handful of managers since uh, Terry Collins left there in, I think, 2017 or 2018. They'd gone through two or three managers, and they finally found a guy who has a history of stability and a history of being able to – as I mentioned, you know, you're not necessarily always managing a lineup. You're mal- uh, managing personalities. You're managing, um, you're managing the media. Sometimes you're having to manage the, that uh, that that uh, buffer between the media getting to your players and kind of keeping guys, uh, you know, heads cool, if you will, uh, when that kind of stuff happens. So, so that was the first of the awards. Then you had the Rookie of the Year in both the National and American League. Um, great player with Seattle, um, franchise type of player in, uh, Julio, um, Julio Rodriguez outfielder had a great season, got himself a big contract uh, extension right out of the gate as well. So, um, definitely a great player. And then really it was a battle of two guys from Atlanta in the national league. You had Spencer Strider who uh, came in and was an excellent starter for the Braves this year, might've been a difference maker overall for that team as far as being able to make the playoffs in that late run after being 10 and a half games behind the Mets and coming back and winning that division. And then um, Michael Harris, the second, uh, he ends up winning the award also with the Braves. Uh, what a solid season he had. And the crazy thing about him is he didn't even make his debut until the season was basically two months old. So he put up all those numbers in basically just four months. And so uh, congratulations to both of those guys. they, definitely earned, uh, you know, definitely earned it and definitely put up the numbers that were deserving of, uh, of winning those awards. So congratulations to both of them. And then you have the, uh, American league and national league spy young awards and no question of the American league. What a year for a 39 year old pitcher, uh, Justin Verlander, um, comeback player, you know, solid season there. Let me get your take first on the, uh, the rookie of the year and we'll go into the, uh, flying awards. Uh, what are your thoughts on the rookie of the year in both, uh, both leagues?
2: Both great picks. It almost is amazing that these guys are, are rookies because they did so well. They fit in so yeah. well, especially Julio yeah. Rodriguez that for him to, to have won it, it was really a slam dunk. It was very obvious. Even at the home run derby, he was going to probably be the guy who was going to get it. And lo and behold, he did get it. So it's always great when you have these guys who are up and coming, who are going to make be the big names of tomorrow. But, yes, I had no issue with both of them getting it. I think they're both well-deserving of it.
0: Well, The one thing I want to throw out there, too, um, that I find very interesting. Rookie of the Year, typically, I mean, it's not necessarily a player on a good team. It could be a player on a really bad team. Both of those guys, for both of their teams, were almost an MVP for their team. Seattle made a late run and got into the playoffs for the first time in 21 years. And then... Um, when Michael Harris II came up for Atlanta in late May, it was around Memorial Day. In fact, I was actually, believe it or not, guys, I was at his very first big league game. He got called up the day wow. that I went up to Atlanta back uh, on Memorial Day weekend this past year. And so the Braves went on a really hot run that last four months, and he had a huge part in that with what he produced for Atlanta. So both of those guys were very deserving Um it was almost like they were the rookie MVPs of both of their teams this year. Both guys also – I mentioned that uh, Rodriguez got a contract extension. Harris got a huge contract. He signed an eight-year deal uh, with Atlanta uh, right towards the end of the season. So both of those guys are locked in and making that big money uh, going forward. So that's good there. I started to say FI uh, Young Award winners. Um, Justin Verlander is just in another universe at this point. Um, you know, probably one of the greatest power pitchers of this era, for sure. Uh, just a great season. He goes out there and, you know, he pitched like he was 25. I mean, it's hard to believe he's 39 and he's still pitching this way. And I I don't see him stopping anytime soon. Uh, so he wins in the American League. And then in the National League, um, I, I saw this coming a mile away. There were some good candidates. But Miami's uh, Sandy Alcantara, what a year he had. Um I'll tell you what, if he was on a team that had – Decent offense and was a better playoff caliber team, twenty-five game winner. I mean, he's got that kind of stuff. So, what are your thoughts on each of these guys winning the uh sliding award in the National American League?
2: Both outstanding, you know, both deserving of it. You know, with Justin Verlander, that's really impressive for his age, thirty-nine. You know, getting the Cy Young, also playing very good in the World Series and. He probably did pitch a little bit better in the ALCS, but, man, this guy is a gamer. And I definitely do think he wants to play the 45. I don't know if he'll play the 45, but I know he can play at least another two to three more years. As a matter of fact, he turned down the Houston Astros offer. So he's looking for a big payday on the way out. So he's going to be available. But, man, if you can afford him, Justin Berlander is is a gamer.
0: I look at his statistics right now. You know, the, the, the age of the 300-game winner is, for the most part, over. The last guy to do it was Randy Johnson. That happened back in 2009. So it's been 13 years since we've seen a guy get to the 300-win plateau. And it's going to be a long time before I think we see another one. But Justin Verlander has, i see an outside chance. He's at 244 career wins right now. So he's 56 wins shy if he pitches four more years and, you know, wins, you know, 14, 15 games a year on average, he's going to get there. And he's definitely a hall of famer in my book. Um, I think he definitely is going to get there. He's got great career numbers. Uh, obviously, um, you know, has, uh, he's been the, this generation's version of Nolan Ryan in a lot of ways. You know, he's had uh, what, three no hitters, uh, been to the world series a couple times. Uh, actually been to the world series several times uh, with a, uh, Tigers and of course the Astros now. So um, but he definitely deserved it. And then Alcantara in the National League um, doesn't get as much recognition because he's with a smaller market team. Um, Miami isn't the same market uh, that it is in other sports like basketball and football. Um, it's kind of a, a second-rate uh, uh, market when it comes to baseball. And Marlins haven't had a very good stretch uh, of seasons here lately. So. Um, I think if he was pitching for you know the Mets or the Phillies or the Braves, he'd get a lot more recognition. But I'm glad that he got recognized this time around. He definitely had a, a terrific year, um, much, much deserving of winning the award. So congratulations to him and, of course, to Justin Verlander. And then let's go to the final uh, big award. Uh, that is, uh, of course, the uh, American and National League, the most valuable player. National League, it's Paul Goldschmidt. He had a solid, solid year for the St. Louis Cardinals. And then on the American League side, congratulations to your guy there with the Yankees. Uh, yeah. Uh, what a what a year. I mean, one of the top seasons for a run-producing player in history. I mean, the, the last season we saw, I guess, was Sammy Sosa. I mean, just great numbers there from Aaron Judge this year. He's also a great guy. Uh, just, you know, outside of being a baseball player, he's he's a good guy off the field, too. So, congratulations to Aaron Judge. Give me your thoughts on both those guys winning Respectively.
2: Yeah, I thought it was great. I really was happy, more so for Aaron because I felt as if they this could have been a situation where, because he is a New York Yankee, people tend to hate on the Yankees for some reason. I felt as if it could have lined up for possibly a snub job, but no, he got 28 out of the thirty first place votes, so he they he won it almost unanimously. The right guy got it. I'm happy for Aaron Judge. This has to go down in history as one of the greatest seasons because the guy gets the record. He's actually able to. Well, he doesn't get the record. I should say. Let me take it back. He gets the record as far as Yankees. You know, he hit more home runs than anyone in the Yankees, and you know, he did pass Maris and Ruth and, and Maris and Ruth and. He, he got a lot of clout this year. I mean, a tremendous amount of recognition. I know that the Yankees did get bounced in the first round. They, the, um, yeah. Yeah. So the Yankees didn't do too well in the playoffs, but you know what? You got to count your blessing. If you're Aaron judge, you had a fantastic season. You're going to get paid, whether it be the Yankees or someplace else. So the right guy won it. I felt as if Aaron judge deserved that award over, showy attorney i know he's a, a different type of cat and he's a great player but i if i had to vote for this which hopefully in the future being that we're working in media you never know i would have voted for aaron judge to first place vote and both of them are, are very deserving of it but i've seen judge a lot this year because of the home run race i'm glad he got it congratulations to aaron judge
0: Yeah, he definitely deserved it. I I don't think it was even a contest in the American League. I mean, I I get Otani likely because he's a guy who plays a two-way player. You know, you don't see this very often, a guy who pitches and is a number-one starter type of pitcher, and then he's a a slugger as an outfielder. Um, You know, we haven't seen this since Babe Ruth, uh, so we're kind of tying that in there. Um, So it is very interesting to see that being the case. Now, it is interesting to me, too, that you have two guys who are in – uh, winning these awards, uh, one was a, a, a hitter, of course, a judge at the Yankees, and then, of course, uh, Verlander with the Astros that are now free agents. Um, and I, I'd say that probably the, the probability of is a lot higher than the probability of Verlander staying in Houston. I think there's a lot of talk about him going out to L.A. to play with the Dodgers. He might come back east um, and play for Philadelphia, possibly, um, possibly the Yankees. I'm not sure yet on that one. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see over these next uh, several weeks. Sometimes this drags into the following year as well where some of these free agents land. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on Verlander, where he might go, and, and of course, uh, Judge, where he might go?
2: I think with Verlander, there's a very good chance that he, he does get an offer from the Dodgers. I just feel as if they love to spend money. It's, it's a place where a lot of people are drawn to. I know his wife would love to live in L.A., you know, Kate Upton, being that she's a model and everything. So I think that will probably be a very good landing spot for him. You can never rule out the Yankees. You know, Justin Verlander would do well in the American League. He knows a lot of the clientele. So with Judge, I think the Yankees are going to re-sign him. I, I do think that. I do think the talks are positive. They want him to return. And I just find it hard that he would leave based on them not giving him a very good offer. So I just think the, the brakes truck is going to back up to Aaron Judge with the Yankees, and he's going to stay.
0: Yeah, I, my, my advice to the Yankees on him is make it happen quickly because the longer it gets drawn out, if it goes beyond, let's say, mid-December or past Christmas or even into the new year, the longer you're out there as a free agent. We saw this happen uh, in years past, the longer you 're out there as a free agent, the less likely it is you 're staying with the club that you were previously with because now you have you know however many teams are in the running for you that can make an additional offer. They can say, "Hey, what are your demands at this point?" and you have the ability to go back to ownership and say, "Hey, this guy wants a little bit more? Are you willing to pony up?" Yeah, we want this guy on our team because he 's a franchise type of player so I think if this goes beyond the winter meetings, which are usually about the middle middle of December, maybe around the tenth to the fifteenth, somewhere in there. If it goes beyond that particular time frame, I would say there's a good chance he ends up signing somewhere else. If they can get something done in the next like two to three weeks, then I think he stays in New York.
2: Yeah, I agree. I definitely do think the lawyer goes you your chance of him coming back, but I will caution Aaron Judge on this regard. Look at what Freddie Freeman did, and it didn't work out. Take your time. Make a sound decision. But sometimes the grass is not green on the other side of the fence. You know, you you're a lot of the band is going to be probably coming back with the Yankees, and you're going to be at least on a team that you know is going to put, in most cases, at least a winning team or record on. Sometimes when you leave for more money, it also means that you might be ch- taking you up, a crappier
0: team. Yeah, and in defense to, to the Freddie Freeman situation, you know, they had up until about early December last year before the lockout occurred, and then, of course, the lockout didn't end until I think it was the first week, uh, pardon me, the first week of March, and at that point, you unfroze things. They had been frozen for three or four months, and you had to basically make an immediate decision within 72 hours or whatever it was, so um, it definitely... Worked out in the long run for both sides. It didn't seem like it was going to work out at first. I think that whole drama has, uh, has essentially ended now. I think he's very comfortable out there in L.A. And Atlanta, I think it's very comfortable now with Matt Olson at their uh, first base position. In fact, of course, they signed him to a long-term deal the day after acquiring him. So, um, but it's going to be interesting to see. There's some big names out there. The shortstops are, I think, going to be the headliners here. You've got Carlos Correa, who opted out of his deal with the Twins. He is seeking a seven- or eight-year deal. Um, Dansby Swanson, of course, the Braves. Uh, you've got uh, Xander Bogarts from Boston. And then I'm forgetting somebody here. Oh, Trey Turner from the Dodgers, um, I think, is the best shortstop overall. Um, so that's going to be really the headline at, at this particular uh, offseason, the, the shortstop position there. Um, and then you've got, of course, the pitchers. You've got the Justin Verlanders. You've got, you know, uh, there's a few other arms out there. Um, Carlos Rodon. I think that these guys are going to make a lot of money. There's no question about it. I think Verlander is looking for something similar to what Max Scherzer got from the Mets, which was a three-year deal that pays him about $35 million a year. I think Verlander is going to want to go a little north of that. That'll be interesting to see how that plays out, especially given what he has done at 39. Um, you've got catchers out there. You've got Wilson Contreras from the Cubs. It's going to be interesting to see where all these dominoes fall because a lot of times... Um, you know, you get a team who gets really interested in a player. That player ends up signing elsewhere. So that team who was interested initially, they have to move on to the next guy. And that's not always be a free agency. It could be a trade. It could be, you know, a few other things too. So uh, free agency is always an interesting game. Um, and a lot of times it runs deep into the offseason, into the following year. So we'll keep an eye on that. And I'm sure we'll have some big news
2: to talk about on that over the next uh, several weeks as well. Absolutely right about that. You want to keep an eye, keep you guys posted on news in major leagues and where things, where people end up. So keep connected with our Facebook page. Take a moment right now to like the Allen and Aaron Sports of Radio Show and take a moment to write that up, phone number, 518-418-5572. That's 516-418-5572. If you ever want to discuss any of trades or anything that happens in Major League Baseball or other sports, please feel free to chime in.
0: Staying in the baseball line of uh, talk here tonight, uh, as we are getting closer to wrapping up here this evening, uh, some big news, uh, obviously, this past week uh, with Pete Rose sending that uh, letter directly to Major League Baseball Commissioner uh, and, and, of course, basically saying, I apologize for what happened back in the 80s, my betting on baseball. So the topic of discussion on this is should they change their mind? Should they allow Pete Rose to get in? Should they give him the ability to have uh, a vote for him going into the Hall of Fame? And should he be able to come back and be a part of Major League Baseball in some capacity? I want to get your take, and then I'll give you
2: mine. You know, I, I just think that Pete Rose is a difficult case, you know. And why I say that is because we'll, we're going to talk about the other person a bit later, But with Pete Rose, I just think he clearly broke a rule, and the evidence is overwhelming prior to him admitting to it, but he was lying for many, many years. And I do feel at this point he is remorseful, and he does want to get into the Hall of Fame before, you know, his days are are done. I I just feel as if it was an emotional letter. I, I felt his pain. And I feel bad for him. And Pete Rose, I feel, should be in the Hall of Fame because there's a lot of history that goes with Pete Rose. But I just, I agree with what somebody said. They wrote a, an article I read. It was actually about four times longer than that letter that Pete Rose wrote. And the only thing, and he was really negative about Pete Rose. I'll be real with you on the tone. But I did agree with one thing he did say. I think Pete Rose will get in. But I think, unfortunately, he'll get in after, unfortunately, he passes. I, I just feel as if the Major League Baseball, and the commissioner, they're not going to go over their head while Pete Rose is still alive because I don't know if it's a money thing. I mean, he's, 80, he's in his 80s. I, I just feel as if the they're the most unforgiving people as the Hall of Fame. And... As a Christian, I, I hear what he's saying as far as forgiveness, but I feel like the Hall of Fame is, up until this point, doesn't have any forgiveness in their business model. So I do think they will make an exception, though, eventually, but I think it's going to be unfortunate once Pete Rose passes away.
0: Here's my take on it. Um... I think there is a difference between forgiveness and consequence, and I think that the, the forgiveness, I think, is is probably there. I think most people would say, okay, you made those mistakes, and I'll get a little deeper into this in a moment. Just on the surface, though, I would say the forgiveness is there, but sometimes the consequence is you don't ever get back what you gave up, um, what you traded away for the gambling that he went through. You mentioned there that you feel like he was remorseful in that letter, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little bit of a different track on this. That letter may have sounded remorseful. Um, I don't believe Pete Rose is remorseful, and the reason I say that is this. If you were remorseful on what you had done, this is a guy who's known to still be gambling to this day on other things, horse racing and other events. So the very thing that you were – and he, he was doing this years and years and years before he was ever caught betting on baseball – you're still doing that thing that you were doing prior to being caught betting on baseball that you were doing for twenty or thirty years before you got caught I'm not saying he's betting on baseball now, but you're you're still putting yourself in that bad position where it compromises any integrity that you did have so i i don't I don't believe Pete Rose. I think that he's sorry for sure that he's not going to be in a hall of fame. I think he's definitely remorseful on that part of things, but his overall mentality hasn't changed his overall uh in, in Uh, his overall mentality on this stuff hasn't changed. None of that's, none of that's any different. And a couple of things, I I said this to you off air uh, earlier in the week, that letter came way, way too late, at least 15 years too late, uh, probably 30 years too late. In 2004, early that year, uh, he went on Good Morning America and he admitted that he had bet on baseball. That was 15 years too late then. If he had admitted to it, In 1989, when the commissioner of baseball, uh, who unfortunately passed away like a week after this uh, occurred, if he had admitted to it way back then, the road to healing and the road to that forgiveness would have been a lot easier a bridge to build and cross. But the fact is he denied it for 15 years. Then 15 years later, of course, he admits to it, and then it's another 18 years, almost 19 years later that he writes a letter to the now commissioner I just feel like it's not something that's going to happen. I, I don't think he'll be in the Hall of Fame before his death and certainly not after it as well. I think this is a permanent, I think this is a permanent thing. And the reason I say that is the next guy we were going to talk about is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Part of that scandal back in 1917 uh, uh, or 1919 with the Black Sox where they threw the World Series and Joe Jackson was a Hall of Fame bound player before all that happened. And being caught up in that scandal, he is not going to get in the Hall of Fame either. So I don't think either one of these guys, because they broke the they broke the number one rule in the sport, and this isn't just baseball, going to be in football or other sports as well. You don't bet on the game. You don't throw the game. You don't cheat the integrity of the game. So neither one of these guys, in my opinion, belong in the Hall of Fame. It's unfortunate to say that. Their, their names are going to be synonymous with those guys that probably should be in there, but because they – Broke those cardinal rules. They, they will not be in, in my mind.
2: You know, with Shoeless Joe Jackson, it is it is a little dicey with him. Pete Rose, I feel as if it's an open and shut case. Meaning, even if you don't take his admission, I mean, let me let me back to back that up and say like this. Pete Rose, you're right to your point, Aaron. He lied about it for many, 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 many years, and people try to even you know. Jim Gray, try to kind of trap him to get him to admit it. But he lied about it for many, many, many years that he didn't do it. And it took him forever and a day to finally admit he did do it. Even though they had a lot of evidence, he never copped to it. But there was a lot of evidence on Pete Rose. Shula Joe Jackson, I, I did some research on him. There really isn't a smoking gun that he actually gambled. What I mean by that is, yes. After doing the research, I do believe five or six of the players on that team wanted to stick it to the owner and throw the game because the owner was real cheap, to make a long story short. I, don't, I couldn't find any smoking gun on Shoeless Joe Jackson, meaning that he was a willing participant. Let me give you know, the listeners a little bit of background about Shoeless Joe Jackson. The man was illiterate and couldn't read. The only real evidence they had is that he signed a confession that he was part of it. But outside of that, there isn't really any people saying that they had discussion with him. In fact, the guys who got caught, and later, not only did they get caught, they were all acquitted, including Sulis Joe Jackson. But the commissioner said, okay, you beat the case, but you guys are banned for life. You're out of here. I think Sulis Joe Jackson was kind of lumped in with, the, with the, the group that did do this. I don't know if he did it himself. There isn't, I couldn't find any evidence that Shoeless Joe Jackson, without a doubt, was a participant. If he was without a doubt, without a participant, and there was some concrete evidence, yes, I would agree. You deserve, you get what you get. You deserve the lifetime ban. You could ask for reinstatement, which he did for many years until, you know, he passed away. There isn't a smoking gun for Samoa's Joe Jackson. I'm going to give her a slither of. This guy might have been just guilty by association, and if he is guilty by association, he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. That's why I stand on Shoeless Joe Jackson. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron?
0: I'd have to examine that a little bit closer. Um, Unfortunately, guilty by association is something that happens even nowadays where you have guys who played through the steroid era that never had a test. They failed or never had something that was perceived as a failed test. They got into the Hall of Fame that – you know, people question, like Jeff Bagwell would be a good example there. Mike Piazza would be another one. Um, I'm not saying those guys did use or did uh, use, uh, of course, steroids or PEDs, but there was a lot of talk around them that raised eyebrows, that raised questions. And I think that sometimes, unfortunately, you can't go back to that era between, like, say, 94 and, I don't know, 2003, that 10- or 11-year stretch. You, there's not too many guys that do that era other than maybe Griffey, and chipper jones and there might be one or two other guys that i'm not thinking of off the top of my head right now that can honestly look you in the eye and say i never did anything some of these other guys you just look at them and you think it, there's not any smoking gun like you said before but there's enough of a question mark where it kind of left you scratching your head so um the guilty by association thing i think sometimes is just it's part of the part of the deal and yeah you're right you know they were acquitted um but that doesn't always mean that you're not guilty, <laughs> you know.
2: That's so true.
0: I, That's true. I I think I think there's a I think I think there's a case to be made, you know, on both players. There's a case to be made in favor, and there's a case to be made in opposition, and the percentages are probably different on both players for each of those two things. I would say for Pete Rose, it's probably 99 to one, and for Shoeless Joe Jackson, it's probably at best 50 50.
2: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think. I really do think Shoeless Joe Jackson has a better chance of getting in than Pete Rose because there isn't any real concrete evidence against him. And if you look at his stats, he actually played really well in the world series. He didn't make any errors. And there's a strong case that Shoeless Joe Jackson, you know, to sweeten up the pot, they they said, okay, what if we get Shoeless Joe Jackson on on the board to do this? I do believe the other five, five or six guys were guilty. I just can't really say whether Shoalist Joe Jackson was. I will say this about Pete Rose. I really admire him as a player. He's from Ohio. He's a tough, gritty guy. I can, I can relate to him in a lot of ways. But one thing about Pete that I have to say, as much as I admire him, Pete Rose is incredibly stubborn. He is very mm-hmm. stubborn. Stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. A lot of him not getting it. I agree with you, Aaron. If he would have just confessed to it, apologized, get in front of it, instead of denying it for 15 years, and he didn't come out and admit that he did it until the book that I have in my house, which is autographed by him, you know, admitted that he did it, and he did it, you know, basically writing a book. So which meant that you know you did get some some money out of this. So he is just very stubborn in that regard. I would love to interview Pete Rose. I really would. I would be fair in my, I would tell Pete Rose if he's listening to this, I'd be fair in my questions, but I'm not going to kind of cakewalk around some questions that are kind of pointed and I'd be fair in the interview basically. But there are some things that you know I admire about Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle. Anybody who hustles as much as Pete Rose did, regardless of what you're doing, I admire the work, the work ethic. I really do. The guy really messed up. And for people who struggle with gambling, please watch that video I did about gambling addiction because it's it is something that can catch a hold of you. I I just uh, I'll talk about that in another show down the road, but I did watch the uh, Mike Donahue, the referee who got caught, the Netflix documentary. is very, very powerful, very, very good. I'd recommend that too. But uh, it's best just don't get involved with gambling and don't... This is my point of view. Don't get involved with gambling because it can take a hold of you and definitely don't get involved with people when you are gambling that are kind of like People you shouldn't be hanging with you don't want to be. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> kind of the guilty by association part. You, you,
2: you're around that. You're going to
0: get caught up in it. So that's a good point there. Here, here's another thing I want to to you. The reason why I don't believe either one of these guys are ever going to get into the hall of fame, uh, is this, so that the commissioner would be the ultimate decision maker on lifting a lifetime ban from a player. And so, I cannot see I, – and I don't know who the next commissioner will be after Rob Manfred's out of office. He's going to be there for probably at least another five years. Um, I cannot see him or any future commissioner wanting to have that big of an impact on the changing of the game because people people really pay attention to this stuff in the in the game of baseball, whether a guy is you know, able to get in because he cheated and took PEDs or he – Bet on baseball, that would be a, that would be something attached to your legacy as a commissioner. So you look at uh, uh, Buck, uh, Bud Selig, who was a previous commissioner. His legacy, as he went out, looking back at it now, is there's a handful of things you could look at, but he, his his legacy is going to be interleague play, which started in '97. He had been the commissioner for just a couple of years at that point. And it was also expansion. You know, they expanded in 98, uh, went to 30 teams, and also uh, allowing for some of the rule changes, some of the replay changes, those sort of things to take place. And he also helped avoid uh, another strike back in uh, 2002 that could have been just as bad as the one that happened in 1994. So um, the negative things of his legacy were he also was the commissioner through the steroid era and the PD era. And yep. I personally feel like it, a lot of that was mishandled. The, the punishment for these guys was basically a slap on the wrist. 10 days for the first time, if you do it again, you get 25. And if you do it again, you get 50. I mean, who's not who's not going to take that risk if you feel like you're going to get through it and, and be a better player and get more money at the end of the day? So, So those are the negative things on his resume as far as his legacy. I can't see any reason. I'm not a huge fan of of Rob Manfred. Um, That's a whole other show. We could have a whole series on that, but I I don't think that he wants to have part of his legacy lifting the ban on Pete Rose. There's enough people in the game past and present that would be very, very disappointed and upset by it. And I think there's a lot of fans would be upset by it too. So, and then of course with, you know, the whole Shoeless show thing, that's been going on for, that happened over a hundred years ago. So, in my mind, if that hasn't happened by now, it probably isn't going to happen. I just am going to stick to what I said before. I don't think either one of these guys will ever be Hall of Famers. And long after Pete Rose is gone, this will be a discussion that people are having 20, 30, 40 years from now.
2: Wow. So you think his, his chances are done. I, yeah, you know, that's his the biggest thing. Are zero, his chances are 0.00%. Wow. And Shoeless Joe?
0: They're both batting 0 right now. So,
2: <laughs> but you know what? It's a shame because those guys are are definitely this is an example of what can go wrong if you make a blunder in your career. And if you don't get good advice and you don't take sound advice, know the rules before you do something and really think about those rules because the consequence, you know, is like you do the crime, you have to pay the time. And sometimes when you're doing a time, you're saying, you know what? I shouldn't even done the crime because this is, this is not worth it. I bet you both of them. Yeah. yeah, Both of them are saying the same thing. Now I will say, you know, with Shoeless Joe Jackson, may he rest in peace. And boy, I would love, I would have loved to hear his side of the story if you really did this or not, because if you did it, I can't argue with you. You just des- you don't deserve to be in. If you're guilty by association, I feel bad for you. You know because you didn't actually do the crime, but you're paying a penalty like you did. P. Rose, yeah, you did it, man, and you should have copped to it sooner because you just lied for many, many years, which pissed a lot of people off. And and I agree with you to your point, Aaron. In order for any commission, in order for either one of these two guys to get in, the commissioner that's there in the place would have to say, from this point on, for the rest of my life, I'm going to be known as a commissioner that overturned another commissioner. And that's what you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life, whether it be good thing or bad thing. If was well-received or it's not. I think nowadays, because I think if Pete Rose got in, the way I feel is if the overwhelming majority would probably be okay with it, but there is going to be a lot of people that's going to be very upset about it too.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can agree. I think it'd be a very split, uh, split situation there, uh, for that. Uh, but again, I'll stick with what I say and, and, you know, you never know things could change over the next couple of years. We'll see how it gets played out. But I, I would say this, if it hasn't happened by now for, for Shoeless Joe show, a hundred years later, it's not going to happen. And for Pete, I just, I feel like that's, uh, um, not an option there as well. So you've got some boxing news uh, here for us uh, tonight. Uh, give us uh, your take on some of these upcoming fights.
2: Yes, I do. I got some great news that the Ryan Garcia and Javante Davis fight, they did say that it's on. Hopefully there's no hiccups on that. So that should be a very, very electric fight to look forward to in 2023. And I did see some of Terrence Bud Crawford's interviews with his fight against Errol, the true Spence, one question that kept coming up is, will this fight solidify his legacy if he does not fight Errol Spence? I will say it like this, and I think Errol will somewhat agree with this, there's Hall of Famers in all sports, and then there's Hall of Famers in all sports, meaning there's some guys that get in, you know, like, okay, they got in borderline. They're okay. They're good players, but are they really Hall of Famers? And then there's some guys that are like, you know, Willie Mays. And there are guys yeah. like that. Yeah. Bay Roof. There's guys, Nolan Ryan. There's guys who are Hall of Famers like, whoa, you'd run across the street in traffic to go get their autograph. You know, there's just in every sport. I think, yes. Terrence Brad Crawford would still be a Hall of Famer if he does not fight Errol Spence. But I do think it would be something that will be really not good for his legacy. The fact that he didn't fight anyone in this 147 weight class, especially a guy as good as Errol Spence. I will say this, in Errol Spence's regard, he is a Hall of Famer too. But I do feel at the 147 weight class, Errol Spence is much more proven than Terrence is. The only person I think could beat Errol is Terrence, but I just think Errol is a lot more accomplished in this in that weight division. He fought a lot better guys. So I would even say that Errol probably if he doesn't fight will get more of a pass than Terrence would. I really would be honest and say that. I want to see the fight and I also invite Terrence Bud Crawford as well as Errol the True Spence to come on our show. We'll talk about it. Again, we'll give a fair interview. And you both will enjoy it and have a great time. Not to ever make anybody look bad, but we definitely want to be honest and, and bring points up that we feel are important and what our fans feel is important. So if you please reach out to us and we'll have you on the show, I'll keep trying to put the feelers out to see if we get you on the show as well, but definitely I'll keep you guys up to date on boxing news. I did want to thank, definitely Dr. Loran Starr. She did an interview with me earlier this week, which I'll probably have it uh, ready for you guys probably beginning of next week. And she is going to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and why that's so important for your sports teams, you know, being, and also the front office. And we, we had a great conversation and sometimes you know, I don't want to spoil the interview, but sometimes when you get the job and it works in your favor, let's say you're the person who, hey, you have a small percentage of hiring people in this type of category, this minority or whatever it is, sometimes when you get that job, you lose credibility too from other people. We talked about that in the interview and a lot more. So if you get the homie hookup, it may not be a good thing for your credibility, too. Something to think about. But uh, we discussed that. It was an incredible interview. Very fun. I appreciate Dr. Loran Starr joining us on the Sports and Radio Show. You guys got to check out that interview. And I'll have that for you early next week.
0: All right. So great show again here tonight. Uh, just a reminder to all of our fans and listeners out there, uh, we are off next week because of uh, – uh, of course, Thanksgiving, we want to, you know, observe, of course, that uh, particular uh, holiday as we have done the last couple of years. That's a great time, of course, to spend with uh, family, friends, uh, people coming into town. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, those kind of events going on. I uh, want to thank our great sponsor, Chef Key's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting, you may need a support group. That support group is coming to town here this week as your family and friends are coming in to celebrate with turkey and ham and all the, uh, all the trimmings and all the good stuff there. I want to remind people, though, as the holidays approach, uh, of course, uh, check out Chef Keith's Florida Barbecue Sauce. It's a great gift to have or just a gift for yourself, too. So I uh, want to thank as well Lou, our great guest, who called in right at the top of the show to give us his take on some of the NFL stuff going on. Uh, of course, uh, we encourage you to listen to the Enhanced Sports Show on Saturdays between the hours of 4 and 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Other than that, that's pretty much all I've got here tonight, Uh, Alan. I want to thank you for uh, doing another great show here. And uh, everyone, have a terrific week. Happy Thanksgiving coming up, and
2: we'll see you in two weeks. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to the and Avers Full star Podcast.
1: (laughs) Subscribe on your favorite social media
0: platform. Thank you. plus.